everyone. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. Joining me from Seattle is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Hello, Kevin. We're all celebrating DeJounte Murray's selection as an all-star reserve up here. <laughs> That's as it should be, right? Um, that was uh, a lot of people believed he should have been all-star from the start. So it ended up working out. Absolutely. Enjoyed that laugh you heard was the iconic laugh of Mark Spears from the undefeated who's joining us from Oakland. Hello, Mark. And, and in the Bay Area, they're celebrating uh, Draymond Green making it and not being able to play. <laughs> yeah, D- Draymond Green not playing and risking injury in the game is what they're celebrating. Yeah. yeah. Will Draymond go? Cleveland go. Cleveland. Cleveland Doesn't in February. He, well, here's the thing. Don't they have to? I think so. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, don't they? You know. It's uh, that's why it's uh, interesting to me that um, Anthony Davis ultimately didn't end up in the game. Um, I think not playing enough games in the Lakers' record certainly helped. But you're a top seventy-five guy, and uh, he he made sure he put it out there. I was telling Pelton earlier that he was going on vacation with his wife, and she had something all planned out. Kind of just giving the NBA a heads up, like give me a pass. Yeah, but I will say. <laughs> not coming for the top 75 celebration is a, I mean, look, I don't blame guys. Uh, the, this season is grueling, especially under the current situations. Uh, I don't blame guys a second for uh, going on vacation. When I was a beat writer, uh, I would often go to Cancun or somewhere warm, uh, Florida. When I had my all-star break, I didn't go for years to the game. So I, I get it. I'm not throwing stones, but, Top 75 should be. No, there, that's I a think. big deal, man. You know, I'll bet, I'll bet Clay would have been there. Oh, yeah, no question. <laughs> Wait, can I ask a question? Why did the top 75 exclusion thing center around Clay and not Draymond? Don't we agree that Draymond has been a more important part of the Warriors championships? Not to get us sidetrack us here. Well, I mean, there was other, I mean, I argued for Ginobili. Other people argued for other, you know, I think there was, I may have this not right, so I don't know if I want, even want to say it, but wasn't it like, didn't it come out that there was, that he just missed? Didn't somebody sort of hint that he had just missed? He was like the first, the last cut, which is why he, because you know there was a tie for 75, and so they had 76, and that's why he showed up in that jersey with number 77 on it. Yeah. Um, whether that's true or not, he's sort of perceived as number 77 now. I was, I was, uh, Alex English, I think was my guy. I can't argue with that. That that was a little surprising to me. There were a few. There were a few. Um, Anthony Davis, probably the most controversial though. Um, so, and then him not going, hmm, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care (laughs) that. I don't really care that much. Yeah. Yeah. "Hmm." But it is, um, I don't know. Like it I wonder if he goes to that Saturday. Uh, I mean, just maybe. I don't know. You're, you're yeah, right. Yeah, maybe Brian. he goes like, to the it, event and then he moves on southward in his in his plane. So I mean, um, the event is what at the All Star Game or is it Saturday night? Like, I'm I, not sure. I, I'm not. I'm I don't know sure. really what they're doing, other than changing sure. all the contests. You know, we'll see what they do with the dunk contest this year. They'll probably have to shoot out of a cannon and uh, do something different in that regard. They, they tried you... the different stuff with the dunk contest. It didn't take. Remember the year where they didn't have a winner in New Orleans? 
Oh, man. I don't remember because I blocked out 90% of the slam dunk contest. Or, or how about when Chris Anderson had like 15 attempts? Who could forget that? Um, all I know is this, and I say this to somebody from Cleveland. After the game on Sunday night, the line of airplanes, the private jets that is going to be sitting there at the airport, ready to go south, is going to be wild. That was like last year. Um, in Atlanta, they did that game in Atlanta and, uh, you know, there was no international travel allowed. So you really couldn't go outside the country. And it was like, uh, between it's between the buzzer and like 1am, there was like 12 private jets that flew from Atlanta to, uh, to Miami. <laughs> well, I, I did hear there was one superstar who I'll leave nameless who was trying to leave at halftime. They wouldn't <laughs> let him. Um, I, there was a couple of guys who I think squeezed out before the final buzzer uh, or certainly within seconds of after the final buzzer. So, uh, all right. So it's trade deadline week. Um, I'm in LA and um, uh, the chatter is just incessant. And I don't know, this is either, we're either going to have a NBA changing trade between the Nets and 76ers or I think we're going to have a lot of accounting uh, maybe one or two significant role players traded um, I think it could be that wide of a spread and in my this is my 19th full-time year covering the NBA Spears I'm not sure I've ever seen a, a more intriguing negotiation than the one that will happen and is happening between the Nets and the 76ers. I know that Woj had Woj and Ramona had a story that came out on Monday morning that said they hadn't actually spoken to each other, the general managers, um, since January, early January. But I can tell you from the folks I'm talking to, while they may not be directly speaking to each other, there's communication going on. Yeah. There is all kinds of intermediaries, third parties, um, posturing, media manipulation. All of this is going on. Um, and I have no idea how it's going to play out. This has so many different facets and, and angles and sides. And even if it doesn't happen this week, it's a possibility that it could set the stage for this summer when Harden has a player option. Spears, it's going to be one of the more fascinating things behind the scenes. I'm not sure how much of it will become public, but man, it's all anybody wants to talk about. And, and I love Steve. I've known Steve since he played at Santa Clara. We, we played pickup against each other. I fouled him in an exhibition game. This is the last college game I played in. But typically when coaches say somebody's not going to get traded, that's, that's a sign that they are. <laughs> like you, you have to watch out for that. Like I, I was a little shocked that he, uh, he went public strongly in saying that. Um, With all due respect, that's like saying, um, you know, are you trading? Are, you know, are you having a stake at this exact second? No, I am not having a stake. Uh, you know, like you can play with language. No, at that moment they were not waiting on hold to get into a zoom call to do the, the legal, the legal trade. Um, yeah. And I do wonder 
in the grand scheme things. Like, obviously people are upset at Ben, but do people in Philly start turning on Daryl Morey? And what I mean by that is, like, they got a really, really good team. They also have a, a MVP candidate who is known to have injury issues and um, is playing a lot of minutes, taking a big load. And I don't think he could win the championship by himself. And to me at this point, like it's trying to salvage things with Ben there is laughable. And if, if the end game is to get James Harden, like get him now, man. Like what's the point of trying to wait to next summer unless that's what the Nets want to do? Um, on the contrary, like if, if James is going to leave, you don't want him to leave for nothing. I mean, obviously they both need each other really, right? To make to make something happen but i mean like the sixers man they got a really really good team and just letting your second best player rot for the season to me is is a disservice to joel it's a disservice to the franchise it's a disservice to the fans like you've known before the season that this dude wants to go so I mean, if the end game is to get James Harden, like I do everything in my power to get him right now. Okay, Pelton, I'm going to ask you a simple question that has probably a complicated answer. Who's a more valuable player, Ben Simmons or James Harden? <laughs> it, it, it does have a complicated answer because James Harden is clearly the better of these two players, has been the better of these two players. When there was talk about Harden going from Houston to Philadelphia last year, the idea was the Sixers were going to have to throw in some other stuff, whether it was Tyrese Maxey back before he had established himself as a, a starting point guard or draft picks or Matisse Thibel or someone else. Like it was, it was clear at that point. Now, a year later, James Harden's health being a bit different and us staring the prospect of this, whether it's uh, an extension and him picking up his contract for next year or a straight new contract this summer as a free agent, the largest contract in NBA history for James Harden and at a stage in his career where his salary is going to be going up and his production is going to be going down. And we don't have to look very far across the league to find some examples of situations where extensions like that have not worked out and have put teams in a very difficult position for a long period of time. So my answer would actually be objectively from the outside, it's James Harden. But right. this has become, this is a, we compare a lot of trade negotiations to poker games. This feels like a high stakes poker game where both of these sides have these arguments for why they should be, you know, getting extra stuff in this trade right now that were laid out in that, that story on Monday that you talked about. And the question is, which of those teams is bluffing the most and which of them is going to back down by Thursday. Right. And there's also, it's not just the nets on one side and the, and the 76ers on the other. You have, James Harden and Ben Simmons. You have James Harden, his contract, and Ben Simmons' contract. Ben Simmons' contract is locked in three years after this one. We know what it is for a lot less money than James Harden. You have James Harden, who is looking, I'm sure, for a $220 million extension this offseason. So when you trade, <clears throat> excuse me, when you trade for James Harden, you're trading for James Harden knowing you have to sign for that extension. And then you have the whole Ben Simmons situation. 
because his position in this is a factor. You have where's Kyrie and Durant, who tend to sort of get on the same page, and from what I understand, are on the same page about this. Where are they on it? Because you know the Nets aren't making a deal until they have their blessing. And then whatever the return is, you know that that's got to be their blessing. Um, uh, then you have ownership. Like, like what? If, like we know Daryl Morey wants James Harden. That's clear. He's been trying to get him for a long time. But what does ownership want? Does ownership want to, A, like does Josh Harris, the 76ers owner, does he really want to be in a situation where he's got to pay James Harden? Does he really want to be in a situation where he hands Ben Simmons a victory? Does he want to play against Ben Simmons for the next few years in the playoffs? It's so difficult to get all the reads on this. And that's why, you know, it's just very difficult. And then there's this this argument of leverage, guys. So, like if like like Spears, you were saying there's a value to getting James Harden this year versus Ben Simmons sitting on the sideline versus James Harden playing for you this year. There's no doubt of value in that. But if you're the Sixers, you can say to the to the Nets, where else are you trading them? He can opt out. Where else is he going? You've only got one suitor here. Um uh Trade us, trade. You know, you gotta, um, you gotta pay for that. And um, you, you know, the Nets could say, "Well, where are you gonna send Ben Simmons? You've had six months to trade him and haven't traded him. This is the first. This is the guy you wanted to trade. So you gotta pay us Ben Simmons plus." And you could present this case three or four different times to different people and get different answers. And so that's why I'm saying, Spears. Like to me, eventually, probably, eventually, probably. Harden is going to be a sixer. Not for sure. Eventually, probably. It's just a matter of the terms. And in this case, the terms, because there's two teams in the same division, in the same conference, who have to live with this decision for the next two or three years, and whether you include role players or draft picks, it's a massive moment. So to me, I think Harden's going to be a sixer. It's just about how it actually gets there. If you're the Nets and you're pretty confident that that's going to happen, it, it, it perhaps behooves you to not do the trade now because you feel like James Harden gives you the better chance of winning a championship right now. Maybe having Ben in training camp and then trying to win with him is better, right, for them. I mean, there, there, there's that risk where maybe we're – you're getting too confident that Philly's a team and he decides to opt out and go somewhere else. Right. There's always that risk. It would seem uh, the betting man would probably say it's Sixers or bust, but you never know. I mean, we've seen crazy things happen in the off season and different players go to different places where, Oh, now Paul George is suddenly, you know, with, the Clippers and it makes it more attractive or, I mean, Kawhi goes to the Clippers and then all of a sudden Paul George goes there. You just never know what happened in the, in the, in the off season. So there's, there's some gambling there. There's some gambling there. And then keep in mind, like, you know, Kyrie also hasn't signed his extension yet. So that there's that part. And um, I, I'm, I don't know, man, I'm a, I'm a, I'd rather be safe than sorry, guy. You got Durant locked in. Um, and I, Ben, 
pretty I would assume he's healthy right now. <laughs> so he, I mean I talked to somebody go ahead. Yeah. I talked to somebody who just recently saw Ben Simmons work out. He's been working yeah. out in Philadelphia. Ramona wrote a story about this last week. Yeah. Um I heard he looks great. Yeah. Uh now watching a guy in a workout, watching him in five on five when he hasn't played in nine months is a different thing, but I heard he looks great. Yeah. Um, and he's motivated. And he gives them a defensive presence that they need, some size that they need. Assuming, I, let's just assume Kyrie could play more games in the postseason. I, they only need they, – they were very, they're very successful with just Kyrie and KD as scores. They had the number one offense of all time last year. Yeah. So, uh, know, I, I think Ben gives them a dynamic that makes them – like, he gives you a, an amazing defender that you could put on different people. Well, he adds right, rebounding. It, he he right. gives them a, something they need. Which is why the Sixers have got to say to them, you've got to – you know, we're not going to give you extra. Like, like how many – team? honestly, I don't, I'm not talking about James Harden, the All-Star. But if you're trading for James Harden and know he can either opt out or you have to pay him 200-some million in an extension this summer, how many teams are honestly going to be suitors for James Harden? Yeah. It's a short and list. The Nets, the Nets may say, or the, the Sixers may say, very few, maybe one. Maybe one. So you have to do this deal with us. And the Nets may, the Nets may or the Sixers may say, and plus Ben Simmons is good for you. And so that's why this is so challenging. Let me ask you this, Pelton. Who do you think is most comfortable with the status quo? Let's say there's no deal right now. Okay, Ben Simmons is not playing. I don't think he's going to play. The Sixers can't certainly operate like he's going to have a change of heart. You've got a team that's competing for the top seed in the East, but I don't know. They're not at their best. That's their status quo if they don't make a deal. Now, Nets, they don't make a deal. Durant comes back. They potentially have a championship run. Harden has played like he's been an all-star when he hasn't been on quasi-strike because that's what he's been during this road trip. And by the way, as a quick aside, if I'm Josh Harris, again, he's got to be the one to say, okay, the 200 million. If I'm Josh Harris and I have watched James Harden two years in a row basically shut down on his team to force a trade because he shut down on his team. Spears, were you at that game in uh, in Sacramento last week? Uh, I was, uh, yes. And I was at the game in San Francisco, which was kind of odd before the game uh, with James decided not to play. Um, I did see him after the game moving his wrist around like that. There was something there, but it, there, there seems to be some odd stuff going on. In your career, Mark, Mark Spears, have you ever heard of a player missing a game because of a hand strain? I have not. So there have been two players in my injury database going back to 2008-09 who have missed a game with hand strains in that entire span. Uh, Alex Caruso missed two games with one and CJ McCollum missed one. So it, it is definitely an unusual injury to cost. I'm so sorry. I take it all back. James was injured. I'm sorry. <laughs> He missed games on that road trip for a hand strain yeah. and for hamstring tightness. Yeah. Now, 
So he either is he either has a chronic hamstring problem because he had a hamstring injury last year, or he's shutting down. In that game in Sacramento, the clips of his defensive effort were embarrassing. Number one. Number two, last year, a streak ended in the NBA, one of the longest streaks in the NBA. And that was when Harden suffered a hamstring injury near the end of the season. And he had to cleave in the first quarter of the game. Harden had scored double digit points in 450 consecutive games. I believe it was the third longest streak of all time. LeBron currently has the longest streak of over a thousand. Jordan had like 860 or maybe it was 960, some long streak. Harden had 450 games of at least scoring double figures. And in a game in Sacramento, where his team was on a five-game losing streak and needed the win against one of the worst teams in the league where, where Kevin Durant was not playing, he scored four points. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that, that, that – I'm not buying all this he wants to be there thing. Oh, no. I mean, forget about his words. Talk about his actions. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like all this – all this net speak, like okay. everything is okay. Like yeah. it's like well, that meme when the guys and the kids on the on the uh, swing and there's a big fire behind them. You know what I mean? That's what it seems like there. Like I don't, like I said, I love Steve, man. I love you, Steve. I've known Steve for a long time. I, I don't, I don't believe it. Guys, in January, somebody asked Steve Kerr for an update on Joe Harris, and he said he didn't have a setback. His agent just said he might have to have another surgery. <laughs> Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch assist and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. I love, I love Steve as a person. Love him. He lies. He lies because he has to lie. Okay. Um, One NBA he, coach told me once, I'll leave him out. But he said, hey, I got to lie to protect my players. Okay. So it's our job. It's his job to lie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's our job to say lie. Okay. So if James Harden – Whatever that you want to call his performance on that road trip was. Let me get back to the status quo. I'm sorry. I was way off of it, Felton. So the status quo for, for Brooklyn is going to be what? Pouting James Harden? Or is it going to be the all-star yeah. James Harden from earlier this year? Who Are the, are the Nets comfortable with the status quo? 
Well, it's not even like it's been All Star James Harden the entire season. I mean, well, you know, he's an All Star. The, the yeah, voted an All Star game. But the magnitude of you know his decline early in the season was a little overstated. But he wasn't playing like MVP. Even if he was All Star James Harden, he wasn't MVP James Harden, which is who the Nets had in last year's playoffs when they were so dominant with all three of those players on the court. I I still think it probably is the Nets for the reasons that Spears laid out, and because you know Harden there's a chance we can get him back on board and get him engaged once he knows that a trade is not a possibility this season. With Ben Simmons, that ship certainly seems to have sailed. And this is fascinating because, you know, Spears mentioned this a little bit and you brought it up too. There's so many times we hear about teams, oh, we want to trade our superstar to the other conference. Like, you know, the Pacers with Paul George or the, the Bulls with Jimmy Butler. And it's like, guess what, guys? You're, you're not winning a championship no matter what conference that player is in. With the Nets and Sixers, like, this is a legitimate, potentially championship-swinging trade. I don't think either of those teams is the favorite in the East right now. I think Milwaukee is the favorite if the status quo, and maybe they're the ones who should be rooting for no trade yeah. to keep everything we'll as messy as Miami. it is right now. Yeah, in Miami too. Yeah, 100% yeah. agree. Uh, I, I do think so. I guess what I'm coming back to is the Nets are probably have the better status quo. And part of the reason is if it does get to this summer, you know, people have compared this to the Chris Paul opt-in in trade, which also sent him to a Daryl Morey team back when Morey was with the Rockets to play with Harden. Well, that year there was a bunch of teams, good teams that had cap space and Chris Paul could credibly go to the Clippers and say, I'm going to leave you for one of these other teams. So you may as well trade me now and get something. If James Harden makes that claim and the teams with cap space are Detroit, Indiana, Orlando, San Antonio, and I'm forgetting one, maybe Charlotte. I, I don't think that claim is quite, quite as credible. Well, and here's the other thing. Like, let's say, let's say that the Sixers say to the Nets, well, if you don't trade him to us now for Ben Simmons straight up, he's going to walk to us in free agency. The Nets can say, you don't have salary cap space. Yeah. The only way you're going to be able to create that salary cap space is by trading Tobias Harris and trading this guy and trading that guy and attaching picks and attaching players to make it happen. It's going to cost you then. So you might as well pay us now yeah. to get James Harden for this year. This is why I'm saying this leverage goes back and forth. Who, and like, make no mistake, even though they may not be talking to each other, and of course, this podcast is being recorded on Monday afternoon. Who knows what the world is like by the time this publishes Tuesday morning? It doesn't mean all of these things aren't in play right now. And then, Brian, then there's an the aspect of Philly gets to move on, they get to move on. Yeah, you know what, Mark? That's a great point. You're if you're Brooklyn, you're saying to Philly, I'm giving you a win. You were going to have to like trade for like, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley or De'Aaron you know, Fox or Tyler Halliburton. Yeah, we're giving you well, Halliburton would be a win, but that's yeah. a different conversation. But, 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 I, but I, yeah. I, I think what Brian's saying is like winning the press conference, like, yeah. You get James Harden, nobody in Sixerville is going to like cry about that. They'll be like, oh, wow, we got James Harden now. Hallelujah. This is James. Daryl Morey's a genius, right? That's what it'll be. But like, I, I remember, and this is going back some years, like, and this is certainly not on the same scale. Um, Steven Jackson, right? He asked for a trade at Golden State. And it was just like, immediately cloud. after signing an extension. Yeah, right after signing an extension. 
Thanks for mentioning that, Pelton. Thank you for adding that. I forgot that. Um, there's this huge cloud amongst the team, and I wrote this story about how so a couple of their players said, man, hey, we like the guy, but we can't wait for it to be over with. We, we can't wait for it to be gone because it's been too much of a stress that we've had to deal with every day. And this is just training camp. And they, they ended up trading them. And uh, there, there was just like this lift that came off the team and just, just like, phew, all right, we ain't got to deal with this media yelling at us every day about this and just concentrate on hoops. And I think there's that aspect that Philly has to consider too, like the, the toll that it's having on Doc Rivers, the toll that it's having on its players, having to answer and wonder even on your superstar about Ben on a daily basis, and it's over. The Nets are going to play this clip. They're just going to – Sean Marks is just going to call and play that clip into Daryl Morey's voicemail, which you, what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, Pelton, what do you think a trade – like, if, you, if they brought you in as a consultant, as a mediator, as an arbiter, what would a trade look like, do you think, a fair trade? So first off, Ben Simmons for James Harden is not a workable trade salary-wise. There has to be additional trade coming from the Sixers side. And that's probably a factor in this too, is that if that you know, additional like salary- Like two and a half million? It's not, it doesn't need to yeah. be a major player. Yeah, it's not enormous. So you know, that could be a variety of players on the Sixers roster. Tyrese Maxey obviously is going to be who Brooklyn is going to ask for right away. And Matisse Thibel, who are the you know, two probably most valuable- players from a trade standpoint the Sixers have you know Philly also could do for Con Korkmaz Danny Green a number of guys like that and the, the luxury tax is the other element here because both of these teams are in the tax so is one of them going to save the other a lot of money are you going to bring in third and fourth teams to sort that element out I I think that you know if Brooklyn gets Simmons and one other good role player to me that's a good enough return that I would probably take that now over the uncertainty of the status quo. I think Tyrese Maxey at this point has probably become a little too valuable, although maybe you know that's not the case if James Harden is there and Philly isn't using him as their starting point guard in there. I think Thibel is probably the more reasonable middle ground, but he's Philly's best perimeter defender. I can see why they'd be reluctant to part with them, but that's probably if you actually made me the Solomon and I'm, I'm determining the trade between these two teams. It's something like Simmons and Thibel. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in, in a situation like when Paul George went to the, um, went to the Thunder and said, will you please trade me to the Clippers? Uh, the Clippers or the Thunder were like, okay, all right, we're going to do this. Um, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Frank, their uh, team president, get your paper out. Here's what our demands are. And so when you see this stuff in the media about how James hasn't asked for a trade or the Nets haven't called or the Sixers haven't called. That's why. Because if James goes and asks for a trade, it gives Philly leverage or it gives us Brooklyn leverage. If Philly is the one who calls and says, hey, we really like James Harden. Okay, fine. We'll give him to you. Get your pen and paper out. Simmons, Bible, Maxi, 
two seconds, whatever. And that's why I really wonder if there's enough time for this whole process to play out. Because eventually they will come to the table and there will be a negotiation and they will have to be angry and hang up the phone on each other. They will have to collapse. And we will, we will, when Ramona Shelburne does her TikTok on the trade, whether she does the TikTok in July or whether she does the TikTok in February, we will read about how they were exasperated. How dare you and slam the phone down. And I'm sure Ramona will do a great job on it. And I'm sure it'll be great details because it's going to be a good story. And, you know, I just wonder if there's enough time for all that to happen because this is so complicated. And um, whether or not it doesn't just get pushed off until summer spears, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm cool either way. And if, if you're you, Philly, if you, if you, you say you're cool. You say you're no, cool, but you're Philly, not. Philly, I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done for a lot of reasons, man. I'm closing the chapter on Ben. I'm bringing in a superstar. Hopefully, I got enough games to to figure it out. Doc Rivers, be be a mastermind and figure this out and um, get this get this together before you know. You still got a couple months to get on the same page. Now, how two guys that like to have the ball work out? I don't know, but I guess they figured it out in Brooklyn too, right? So, not really. Well, um, one less guy. Yeah. Don't you think that they work together? Um, Harden and, and um, Embiid, don't you think that they work together? I mean, I'm sure Embiid would get frustrated with James dribbling at times. But, you know, from a basketball standpoint, it makes sense. Don't you think? I'm a lot more optimistic about it than Tim Bontemps expressed last week on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, the comparison to a better shooting Russell Westbrook. Well, the, you know, that's the, what determines your value when you're spotting up against J- around Joel Embiid is how well you shoot and whether you can keep your defender at home. And I think even though Harden isn't a great catch and shooter, he's better off the dribble. He's at least good enough. To well, I think when defenders he- honest. The Westbrook thing is, I think you're worried about three years from now. Right, right. Yeah. And I think the, the point about defensively, the fact that Harden has always been at his best in switch-heavy schemes, and that's not something you're going to want to do with Embiid, I think is a much stronger point that would make that a complex fit. Uh, also, just kind of, you know, how much two-man game do the two of those guys create together? How long does that take to to come together? I, I, think, I think offensively, it would work well and defensively is where I would have the question marks about that, that group. All right. Well, there was other stuff that has happened. Who knows whether it get pushed to the background by the time this pod comes out, but um, there's a possibility that Karis Levert is the most significant player that trades teams this week. Maybe, maybe not. It is, you know, pretty significant deal for the Cavs. They come up with it on, uh, on Sunday. Um, Spears, I know that you uh, have some insight into this deal. I wondered what you've heard about how this all came together. Yeah, they've been um, talking about this for at least um, probably like a month and a half now. This is something that the Cavaliers have been working on and um, finally got it done. I mean, obviously, when they lost uh, Sexton, that really hurt their backcourt tremendously. Um, And I'm actually surprised that they, because of that, that they've you know, still been able to do really well, surprisingly well. You know, Darius Garland's averaging about 19 a game, but the Cavs' backcourt 
and I'm, I'm like stealing Pelton's thunder. Let me shut up here probably because, he, you know, he got all the stats. Um, is the worst in the league in in scoring for guards. So, you know, you're, you're adding a guy in Karras who probably was really shocked. He like walks into the arena to play the Cavs and then he says he's getting traded by the Cavs, by Carlisle. So the trade's not official. So he goes back to the hotel. Um, yeah, I know. In the, uh, you'd love it if the story was he ran down the hall. You know, they, they had <laughs> Switch like. Switch uniforms, right? Yeah, yeah. That's. And then you know, dunked on all his baseball. teammates and hit the game winner. Right. Isn't there a baseball player? I think he played for two teams in the same day, or maybe it's happened a few times. Where he, double you know, hitter. Well, Moneyball, um, there's the story about uh, when they pulled the trade for Ricardo Rincon, he changes changes dugouts and is available to play for the A's. In yeah, I think game. in baseball, the system is a little bit simpler on a trade. Yeah. But yeah. But no, he, um, no so uh, he went back to the team hotel, um, which uh, certainly you got to like if you get traded and you don't have to like, uh, you're already there. That, that helps. And he's an Ohio native. But J.B. Bickerstaff called him after they came back to beat the Pacers, talked for about 10 minutes. Both of them expressed excitement uh, about being together. But I think what JB's really excited about is like adding another guard who, you know, takes a lot of stress off of Darius. Um, he's also a guard that can swing men, that could drive and dish, which I think is valuable. Probably a better passer, Karis LeVert is, than he gets credit for. And so... J- JB wouldn't go as far as to call him a power in the East, which is probably smart, but he definitely said that they're more dangerous now. I, I, I do think that with, you you know, long-term too, I, I do see a team uh, with Sexton playing two and, and Levert playing three. It makes a, even a scarier East team. But, I, man, I like Karis Levert. He's also a guy that's played in the postseason, which they don't have a lot amongst their youth. And, um Kudos to the Cavaliers for staying with that trade for over a month and a half and getting it done. Yeah, so from what I understand, um, the, the issue, issue with the Cavs was that they had two guys who were out for the year playing on the perimeter, Sexton, and um, although Sexton hasn't 100% ruled it out, but yeah. for trade purposes, Sexton was out for the year and um, Rubio was out for the year. And so they had two guys that they needed to trade and neither one of them you know, were that attractive to trade because they're both free agents to me. So you had two guys out for the year who are going to be free agents. So that's kind of hard to do a trade that way. And, and, you know, so now you're basically looking at trading picks if you're going to trade one of those guys. And they did have an array of picks, but none of the picks were quote unquote good picks. You know, they, they have a first rounder this year that's going to be in the 20s in all likelihood. And um, they have a second rounder for, um, for Houston, which they also traded in this deal, which will be in the high 30s, likely. Um, but when they were asked, when they were talking to teams out there, they were offering like Rubio and a first round pick for a tr- for you know for this type of trade. From what I am told, like teams are saying, we'll take two firsts because um, you know the, your pick this year is going to be in the 20s. We want two firsts. And end of the day, they ended up doing um, basically a first and, and the Houston first, which is like a near first round pick, high 30 pick. And they, there was some other pick swapping and other stuff that happened later on, but they basically traded those two picks. Um, uh, those are the two prime assets in the trade. But Pelton, I'm going to tell you something, Spears. I would say Pelton's reaction to this was meh. <laughs> Pelton? 
I mean, from, from the value standpoint. So, you know, from the fit standpoint, I like it for a lot of the reasons that, that Spears has mentioned, you know, they've been playing these giant lineups. It's been obviously Isaac Okoro at shooting guard a lot of the time, which that makes sense. But then like Lamar Stevens is a two, uh, they've been using, I, I feel like I've maybe seen Dean Wade at some point. Is it too? He's definitely oh, yeah, they've playing been, a lot of three. He's been using Dean Wade all over the place. He's been back up four, back up two. I mean, these are the biggest lineups in the league. And so Karis Levert, like he's not a great outside shooter, but he he's the ball handling element to give them a second ball handler besides Garland late in games. And then also in situation, because in addition to the Rubio and Sexton injuries we've talked about, Garland has also missed now four games in a row due to this lingering back issue. And their offense has really taken a huge hit when Garland is on. They've off somehow the been able to eke some games out. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it's been remarkable. They've been able to keep their head above water. And despite Charlotte getting four free points on Friday night, they somehow eked Wild. that. <laughs> we don't have time to go into that, but oh my God. One of the, that, there's only been one protest game in my career in 19 years. That was a game where Shaq, wasn't it Shaq? Um, Sounds right. Yeah, it was in Atlanta, wasn't it? Yeah, he had. They said he had fouled out, but he actually hadn't. And so the, I believe, it was the Heat protested, and they got to play like the last two minutes with Shaq after he'd fouled out. It's well, no, he had already. I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Shaq got traded. That's wasn't right. Sean Marion ended up finishing the game That's because you right. get whoever's on your roster by the end of the protest. Yeah. So, so th- that situation, which now we've talked about it, that would have had the Cavs lost, which they won by one point they would have protested and I think would have had a chance to replay the game from that point forward. Um, but luckily for the NBA, it didn't turn out that way, but go ahead. So, yeah. So, uh, Levert from that standpoint, I think really helps them a lot. He's also 27. So to, to Spears's point, he can be a long-term part of this group in a way that if you trade for Eric Gordon, who's 33, it's much more difficult to do that. And then I think the other element of having that long-term option, having him under contract for next year is, now, if the price gets too high on Sexton, if there's a big offer sheet from one of those handful of teams I mentioned earlier with cap space, you know, maybe Detroit, then you don't feel like you have to match it if you're the Cavaliers. So that's that's a nice thing to have to not feel forced into that position. I, I think your your comment about the draft picks is interesting because the the way I looked at it going in is I, I kind of thought the Pacers would be lucky to get a first for Karis LeVert. He's pretty fairly p- paid at this point. You know, he's got the one year left on his contract. Uh, Woj mentioned in the newser that, you know, they'd talk about an extension this summer. And that that makes me start to get a little queasy if we're talking about an extension building, uh, giving him a raise from the next year's salary. Well, let's see how he plays. But yes, I'm right. sure he may be interested in talking about an extension this summer. So for them to get not only the first, Cleveland's first, but also that really valuable second that you mentioned struck me as a lot of value. But, you know, John Hollinger, the athletic mentioned in his story, that draft picks are kind of being devalued because the, the league's GMs don't think this draft is very good. And maybe that sort of casts in a different light, the trade that happened on Friday, where everyone was surprised by the lack of draft picks and that instead that there was a, a young player, if you're ready to pivot to talking about that one. Before we go on, we honor and celebrate Black history always. Here's ESPN's William C. Roden on basketball legend John Thompson. On April 2nd, 1984, John Thompson's Georgetown Hoyas, led by Patrick Ewing, beat Houston in the NCAA championship game, making Thompson the first black coach to win an NCAA basketball title. Thompson became a coaching icon during his 27 years at Georgetown. 
When he passed away in 2020, several coaches honored him by wearing his signature white towel. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Yeah, let me just say, in a vacuum, if you're a place like Cleveland, where free agency is not really an option, unless it's a guy from Akron who's a Hall of Famer, uh, it's dangerous to trade future draft picks because the Cavs primarily are going to have to build their team through trade and and um, uh, trade and, and draft, not really through free agency. And I know that they they technically signed Markin in this year, but that was actually a trade. They traded it was a sign and trade. They had to use one of their players to trade for him. So, but of course, that that you you can't have an ironclad rule like that. <laughs> um, so the Cavs did it. Um, I think there will be nights when the Cavs fans think that uh, Lavert is amazing and what a great move. And there will be nights going, man, that's, this is, we thought was going to be God. Cause that's who he is. So the Clippers deal that happened to me, that deals about two things. First off, it's about Norman Powell because I don't even know if Robert Covington is going to stay with the Clippers by Thursday. Um, and he's going to be a free agent and we'll see what happens there. And to me, it's about Steve Ballmer's ability to just spend. Um, even if you're a billion, you know, I was talking to an owner this week uh, after that trade. And this owner is a billionaire. And he was saying to me, you know, there's, there's a, people don't think there's a difference. They just think billionaire and they think everyone's the same. Um, but there's a huge difference between people who are willing to spend 50 to 80 to a hundred million in, in luxury tax year over year over year, as opposed to people who aren't. And that trade and the willingness to take on Norm Powell's contract. Um, and people were, you know, people kept asking themselves, well, what does this mean for Kawhi Leonard? What does this mean for Paul George? It meant that this, that the Clippers just got a good player. That they were that they could that their owner could afford to pay for uh, in his contract for the next three years. That's what it meant. Um, and whether he plays with Kawhi and Paul George this year or next year, or they trade him for something else next year, they added a piece that's a really good player. That's what that move was. So to me, it's about Steve Ballmer having a lot of money and how even with the luxury tax, it's still a have and have not league. And the other thing is, it's about. Portland, who seems to be ready to pay Anthony Simons a bunch of money to be the new long-term sidekick to Dame Willard. And they appear at some point to want to trade C.J. McCollum. And they appear probably willing to pay, in my view, Dame Willard an extension this summer. That's what this trade said to me. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, Spears, but that's what I, I took walking away from it. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent. Go. I think, think you'll like this story. So I go to this 
Oregon football game this this offseason, right? Gary Washburn's bachelor party weekend. We went Gary to, Washburn of the Boston Globe columnist. We go to we go to Portland. We go to Oregon. It's no Vegas. It's no that's debauchery. Where bachelor, that's not where the wedding was. That was just his pick for bachelor party. He picked it for his okay. bachelor party because Oregon was playing his beloved Cal Berkeley Bears. I see. Okay. So Gary's just a good guy. He's you know he's, he's the kind of guy you want your 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 daughter to marry, right? A Seattle. <laughs> Seattle yeah. roots there you um, go. for Pelton. We, yeah, we covered so the Sonics together. The, the point of the story is we go to the Oregon Cal game and we got hooked up to some very nice, like a uh, shout out to University of Oregon Athletics. They hooked us up. It's a group of sports writers. Um, Jerry Brewer's there. Uh, Vinny Goodwill's there. Um, Greg Lee, some other folks, right? Anyways. We go into this VIP area, and guess who's there? It's Balmer. He's just hanging out. He's just holding court. He's at the Oregon football game, right? Just, yeah. And the way you're looking at me, Pelt, I'm like, what is Balmer doing there, right? And apparently his, his wife is on the board of trustees at the University of Oregon. I did not know that. And there's no security. This is certainly probably the richest man in the state of Oregon right now at the time, right? Uh, one of the richest men in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, it would be like, he's certainly... He walk into, yeah, he walks he, into he's where he is. chilling there, um, enjoying a brew with his, with his family. And I was like, I had never met him before. I'm like, I got to go talk to this guy. So I introduced myself. I go talk to him. And I, I asked him why he left the team in L.A. Why didn't he go, Pelton would be interested in that. Why didn't he try to move the team to Seattle? Why didn't he go somewhere else? And he said, because um, I, I thought a big chunk of it was the fact that uh, L.A. De- t- television deal is attractive, especially if the Lakers have their own television network. He said the main reason was because he felt like free agents would be most attracted to go to Los Angeles. And so he didn't want to leave Los Angeles because of the attraction to the city for potential free agents and future players. And then he also talked about how amazing this new arena was going to be in Inglewood, sparing no expense. Just and FYI, how- the league yeah. would not have let him leave L.A. for Seattle. In fact, I believe that they put something in the ownership agreement. And this is not unusual, by the way. Yeah, yeah. They put something in the ownership agreement. That he couldn't move the team to Seattle for some period of time. Okay. But go ahead. I don't want to mess your story up. Okay, well, you did. Sorry, <laughs> but he, this is what he said: he wasn't leaving. He well, let me rephrase it. He said he wasn't leaving L.A. anyway. How's right. that? Good. If, if, even if he could, because, <laughs> because right. of of the attraction of free agents going there. But to to the point about the money thing, like they're I think they're like scouring the earth to find the best wrinkle for any arena. And put it into this place. And this palace that they're building in Inglewood is going to be the granddaddy, the palace of all palaces for sports, for entertainment in the world. Like I'm curious to see when this thing opens. I mean, it's um, I I don't know what he's going to do, but he he is going to make it where Staples Center or, or crypto. Looks like the old uh, L.A. Uh, for, uh, sports arena by the time they're done with it. Oh, man. So he's, um, no, nah, man, he's, uh, those pockets that he has, 
the the kind of but he doesn't act like he has those pockets. Like I, I think he I don't I don't know if he could ever change the allegiance of Lakers fans to Clippers fans, but they're gonna whatever they need to do to get it done, trust me, they're gonna do it. Well, I think here's the challenge. Like like Barclays Center is a beautiful building. It looks like no other arena I've ever been in on yeah. the outside. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very interesting design. Inside, it's very modern, very cool. Everything's dark. They have great everything. It'll never be the Garden, and the Nets will never be the Knicks. Yeah. So the challenge here, I'm sure this building is going to be awesome. Yeah. But they will never be the Lakers, and I'm not sure. I mean, I think their only hope is the younger generation. Right. Yeah. And and they well, do a the, really good Nets, job of that's what the like, Nets thought too, but visiting yeah. teams go in there and get cheered. So yeah. But they're they're doing a really good job of scouring the junior clippers, you know what I mean? Getting kids to be a part of that. But ultimately their parents are like, come on now. You know you're a Laker fan. Right. If the parents, it's the parents of the people that have been in LA for a year gangstering their kids that love the Lakers. The new people may be something different. And there's a lot of new people in L.A. every day. The crazy thing is, is that Steve Ballmer, I believe, is the richest sports. He's definitely the richest sports owner in America. I don't know. These sovereign wealth funds that are owned by, like, you know, in in the Emirates or, uh, you know, the Saudis. I I don't know how it compares. Um, But certainly in America. And certainly the richest owner in the NBA. And the Lakers, who had this big, powerful brand over the Clippers, probably have the most cash. I don't want to say an NBA owner is poor, but the buses have a $5 billion billion team that doesn't have anywhere near the cash resources that Ballmer does. So the clip, like, the Lakers pay the luxury tax. They spend money. But the Lakers cannot spend money like the Clippers. They just can't. They cannot. They don't have the resources. And so it hasn't led to a, a difference in the results yet. The Lakers have more titles since Ballmer bought the Clippers than the Clippers do. So I'm sure it's something that he fights every day. And he has no chance of making inroads until they start having parades out there in Inglewood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, Pelton, the trade, I didn't I didn't remember seeing your grade. Your grade, by the way, for the Cavs was C. Right. What was it for the Pacers? I think A. You gave the Pacers an A. Yeah. Um, what were you, well, I did not see your grades for this. So you can enlighten me on this one. Uh, a minus for the Clippers and a B minus for the Blazers. And that Portland grade definitely contrasted to the feeling locally where, uh, you know, uh, and Joe Cronin, who's their the acting GM right now, acknowledged he had heard about this. Uh, the, their, their Twitter was pretty down on this trade. The fact that the only draft pick they get is a fairly distant 2025 second round pick from Detroit giving up Norman Powell and Robert Covington. And you know, I think number one, Covington, you know, people were thinking of him still is the guy that got two first round picks when he came to Portland, got two first round picks when he was traded to Houston before that. But remember 
that was with a long time left on this contract that was really favorable for a starting forward. Now, all of a sudden, we're into the last couple months of that contract. So that that doesn't matter anymore. And obviously, he hasn't played quite as well as Portland as he did in his previous stops. So his value has diminished pretty substantially. And for Powell, you know, I think the question was how many teams like, you know, as Cleveland probably evaluated this Norman Powell option opposite Karis Levert. I'm sure the timing of those two trades wasn't entirely coincidental. You know, Powell being under contract for five years, the Blazers kind of sacrificed a lower starting salary because of their own luxury tax issues in exchange for the security of this five-year deal and those raises year to year. And I think that probably turned off some teams and was part of why Portland was eager to move on from this contract, even with the possibility of trading CJ McCollum. But, you know, to your original point, this really, I don't think is about this season. It will help the Clippers this season. And the Blazers obviously were sellers this season and have kind of punted on the idea that they're going to, you know, try to make a run through the play-in tournament and get Damian Lillard back. Now that Nasir Little is out and they've struggled, they lost back-to-back to Oklahoma City, you know, uh, that's not happening. But uh, this is really about 2022-23. So for the Blazers' standpoint, as you mentioned, making room for Anthony Simons and that that coming new contract this offseason. And then from the Clippers' standpoint, having Powell there, uh, is a two-way wing, ready to go when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are ready. And the other aspect of this timing-wise for the Clippers is Eric Bledsoe's contract is interesting where he's got $3.9 million guaranteed next year. So that was actually kind of a bad thing for the Clippers because the worst thing you can do if you're trying to spend more money than people is cut someone. Instead, <laughs> right. you want to trade them for someone else you can continue to pay. So they kind of had to move him by the deadline. Whereas for the Blazers, you know, that was essentially an expiring contract for them. And, you know, Bledsoe, I think is someone who potentially could get rerouted before the trade deadline. He mysteriously missed uh, Saturday's game when I was down there with a, an Achilles injury that uh, had not previously been on the injury. Report. Right. Yeah. Bledsoe could get moved again. Covington can get moved again. I, ex- I think the Clippers could do another deal. Um, they've had some discussions with the jazz about Joe Ingles which you would say, well, why would you trade for Joe Ingles? He just blew out his knee. Well, they have other guys rehabbing, and you may want Joe Ingles' rights, and you may want to offload some long-term salary. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, uh, Covington is now there, and the Jazz at one point had some interest in Covington. So we'll see how that plays out. Who knows how stale this podcast will be once time is posted, guys. Um, but thanks for your insights. Uh, thank you, Spears. Thank you to Pelton. Thanks to our producer, Jackson. We're going to talk to you guys again um, later this week. We'll be doing our podcast after the trade deadline on Thursday. So that should be either incredibly exciting or quite a letdown. That's what we do in the NBA. Have a great week, everybody.